been a while. Uh, first off, I do want to apologise. We have been struggling uh, yeah, to man. meet up over the past wee while, but it's obviously busy lives to lead and stuff like that. But Imagine having something to do outside of I recording know, this podcast. I know, I know, it would be a disaster. Um, well, it's not coming home. And that's the it is thing. not coming home and as two Scotsmen. Um, yes, we're very happy. I literally have my 1982 retro Scotland jersey on today. Um, to commemorate a, yes. a momentous occasion. Uh, it is a clue to the episode today, which we'll be recording. Uh, the fact that we have put It's Coming Home at the start. It is a football-related episode. I mean, um, if you've not read the title of the podcast, then... Um, well, I, I do pity you for uh-huh, not, uh-huh. not knowing that. But just, just in case you didn't, uh, we will be discussing technology within the beautiful game itself. Now, it is during the World Cup, um, so what I must first ask of, all, uh, ask of you, who I'm joined by today, Peter Donny. I was going to say, we've not introduced each other. I'm Peter, and this is Aaron, oh, as you know. Yes. So what are you going to ask me? Uh, how have you found the World Cup? Um, I've found the World Cup this time round to be extremely enjoyable. Huh. Um, I think right for the first game, Russia really set a good precedent in the game since that have followed. There's not been too many boring or too kind of disappointing games. It's been easy enough to, after work, or even during work if you're <laughs> me, um, stick on the footy and kind of enjoy whatever you're watching. Um, I think it has been um, a bit of a weird one when it's came to the, like, the VAR. It's been a bit of a change, and we'll mm. get on to that later on. Um, I think having that element has been I think it felt a lot worse at the start of the tournament uh-huh. decisions are being made now obviously in like the quarter and the semi-finals when we're recording this and they don't seem as dramatic they, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem as surprising and the referees are managing to not hold up the game for quite as long uh-huh. well I think it's it's an odd thing where I think if you've been watching the domestic season in Italy where they've been using it in Germany it wouldn't be odd but for us in the the lovely land of Scotland, uh, where even, even there's Premier no f- League games have not been using it. Because even if you, I exactly right, unless you're watching like British Eurosport for the kind of European coverage, it's it's just kind of came unprovoked and kind of out of nowhere. Um, I well, that is a thing. Like I, I feel that it hasn't. It just has come out of nowhere for like for British football fans, definitely. So, do you think then that VAR has been implemented too soon? Well, it's weird because I can see both sides of it. Um, obviously, VAR is immensely helpful in the sense of um, World Cup stakes are so high, a referee making a decision can make or break your kind of World Cup progress. Yeah. But then at the same time, what I've found is a lot of the players have potentially... Some players have known how to game the system. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of players who've actually dived more because they know the technicalities of the game, VAR will favour them. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's been other players who've had absolutely zero experience, so they've not... They're essentially disadvantaged because they're, they're playing a different game. Yeah, They're having to play a different game from well, what they're used it's to. It's one of those things, right, where... And we'll get on to talk about goaling technology later on, just a, a wee spoiler. My opinion Are you leaking the is, agenda here? Come <laughs> on. Indeed. My opinion on video assistant referees in general is one that they should not it should not take any part in the game do you not? no because I think with goal line technology the ball is either over the line or the ball is not over the line similar, similar to, to um, the way I always thought about it was um, the way tennis is implemented mm-hmm. um, like is it Eagle. Hawkeye. Hawkeye is what it is. Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye, close enough. Transfer. Yes. Transfer? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so like um the way the way um Terrace implemented it I thought was really good. Like the the team have got challenges that they can make. Uh-huh. Which put or the player, sorry. They can um so the players have got three challenges a set. A set. 
and the decision gets made from there. And I thought that could have been a really good precedent to set for football, so that the coach can go here, by the way, I think that's worth a look, that's a penalty. Whereas I think the way it's been implemented is it's almost... I mean, you were watching some of the games and it was like the referee didn't trust their own decision-making because they, they had this person in the rear going, oh, who knows, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Well, there is a massive rabbit hole I think you can go down. So, the tennis analogy is one that is commonly made yes. when you talk about VAR in football because it is, an, it is an example of technology working well in sport. But I think because there's constraints on it, which uh-huh. I think makes it However, better. However, I do feel that, well, I know for a fact that the referees before the tournament felt that they didn't want that to happen because the referee likes to be in control of the full situation. Yes. They're the man in charge. And I agree with them because you're 1-0 up last minute of the game under the cosh. Yeah. Like player clears the ball up to the other end of the pitch. Uh-huh. You're on a counter-attack. <clears throat> player gets brought down on a halfway line and then like it's just a just a an ordinary foul maybe not even a foul but then the manager for the team whose team are getting like severe pressure put on them yeah just challenges to kill could be a red card I think that challenge was a red card yeah because they know that they know it's a frivolous challenge yeah but they know that it will buy their team time to regroup, get a breath, and all that kind of thing. So it can be used tactically, so I don't think that's the way to go down with it. That's weird. That's that's a really strange manipulation of the rule that I'd never really thought of, because that doesn't really happen in tennis. Well, does that happen in tennis? Um, could it, it could be used in that well, sense. Well, you get players who say, say, it's like a, say it's like a hardcore match, and it's like a big five-setter in the US Open, in like forty degree heat, they want to take a take a beat. Ah, uh-huh. but uh, to be fair, I think in a way that can benefit both players. But you always see it with Novak Djokovic whenever he feigns an injury or something like yeah. that. That it can be used tactically. But tennis, I think, the way tennis works, as it, because obviously you can say it's in sport, but tennis and football are completely different. Oh games. no, without a doubt. Um, so and the reason I've been thinking about the tennis analogy is purely because I think that the way it was implemented could have been improved. Mm-hmm. Now, there's multiple routes that you could go down. I think there's the route of actually being able to hear what the referee's hearing from the VAR referees, I think, could uh-huh. be really helpful. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. for us who are listening to the... To, who are just kind of watching and listening to the match, you don't know. He's obviously putting his finger up to his ear to show... Yeah. But I think what would really help to improve the VAR experience is rather than people waiting about for a minute, showing the referee looking at the camera, if they're able, if you're able to hear what these VAR guys are saying, like like because um, like rugby, yeah, because the experience we end up getting is penalty challenge referee doesn't do anything, and then you've just got the commentators going, well, the VAR guys must have said no, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, it would have been really good if you're able to hear one of the VAR guys go here. By the way, there was no contact there you're totally okay, mm. or if it looks like there might have been a contact, you should maybe look at it. And I know that we know what's going on, but I think for the sake of transparency and communication, uh-huh. I think that, that should be implemented somehow. Uh-huh. Well, it's that, it's that thing again where I just, I just, I just don't think the, Cause the, that doesn't the whole take, idea of it is great. I don't think the idea of having a video-assisted referee is perfect. But I do think there are situations where the referee does get it wrong and they're obviously trying to eliminate that. Mm. Rugby has implemented it in an okay way. Mm-hmm. Like, But again, rugby is more about gaining territory in a very slow, very organised fashion. Football is much more fast-paced and it's one of those as well where... So, we've got here. The reason that VAR was implemented is still goals and defences leading up to goals. Yeah. Penalty decisions and offences leading up to penalty decisions, direct red card incidents, uh, but not second yellows, yep. and mistaken identity. So these are ones that they will be checking no matter what? No, this is the only thing that VAR will be used <coughs> for. But am, I, but am I not right in saying that whenever there is a goal and an offence leading up to a goal, 
the VAR team will look at it because like, the whole point is the VAR team look at all of the incidents and uh-huh. they only chime in if they think there's an issue. Uh-huh. It's not a situation where the referee goes, I'm not too sure about that. No, he do- the referee doesn't ask the video. He just gets the- given. He gets told you might want to have a look at that. Yeah, and see, it's that it's that confusion even for me who's been watching all the games and obviously heard it a billion times, yeah. but when you see it in action, it's not clear. Uh-huh. It's it really just isn't. not clear. And the thing is as well about football, it says here, offences leading up to goals, offences leading up to penalty decisions. And it's one of those where you go, football, you could have a throw-in, where the ball's inactive. The ball then becomes active in play when the throw-in happens. You've then got five or six stages of play. So a cross comes in, it gets cleared, that's one stage. Team work it out wide, put another cross in, cleared two stages. That can happen five or six times. Yeah. There could be something that a referee gives us a foul within one of those five stages leading up to the ball then being not active again when the referee gives a penalty. And, it's, and that, that could be like three minutes later. Yeah. Without the ball going out. And, and then you're like, how far back do you want to go? Yeah. Because then obviously chaos theory comes into it. And I think just the full thing, I think, should just be scrapped it should own uh, technology in sport for me well in football specifically should only be used for things that are black or white like was a foul inside the penalty area that is one if it's on the line or in the box it's a penalty if, yeah if it's not on the line then but what about something like just to be devil's advocate because i do agree with what you're saying mm. but at the same time i do think there is a place for technology i'm just not too sure how, which is why I'm bouncing all these different sport ideas off you. So like, say like there's an off the ball incident, Mm -hmm. I think that would be a great opportunity for some form of technology to inform a referee that something's happened. Mm -hmm. Off the ball? Because to be honest with you, I don't see a situation, or very rarely do you see an off the ball incident where an assistant will alert the referee. Uh You get it every now and again, and it is pandemonium when it happens. Uh But I think there needs to be, because that's a black and white situation. If someone absolutely rams into someone off the ball that's uh, a foul no like, matter what's going if on you're, if the ball's down the left hand side and you've got a centre back and a forward at the other end of the pitch and one of the male goes there then that doesn't directly affect the play so what no. the referee can then do is let that so the VAR or the video assistant referee could say to the referee something happened off the ball there's an off the ball incident that you you want to have a look at and then the referee can wait to that the end of that pass yes. of the play or if it is an elbow to the head or whatever, stop the play. Stop the play. And go and check. Yes. Like, like Zidane 2006. Yes. Which was apparently the first use of a, like a, a referee not on the pitch making a decision. But it's like unofficial because unofficial. people obviously don't want to say that, but that's clearly what happened. Yeah. Um, it would, be, it would be good for that, but it's just one of those. It's like, See, it, it, draw I, th- the line? I think you're totally right, it's drawing the line. And I think... When they're talking about goals and offences leading up to goals, I think there's a lot of intricacies. Uh-huh. And I mean, I think there's a lot that probably isn't spoken about on a website. The referees will get told how far to look back, and I'm sure there will be rules put in place. But again, you just want transparency, you want that to be put out there. Like the, the one in this so World see, Cup. See if there was a community, a, a, some form where we were able to see what was going on. Uh-huh. It's like the referee's making a decision, you don't know what he's thinking about. They've just shifted that mm, kind of mysteriousness to another party. Mm-hmm. You're you're still not getting to hear or listen to what they're saying. Uh-huh. Because that's the thing. So it's not it helping is, the game, I don't think. Because it is like objective. Then, like, well, the game is suppo- the rules are supposed to make the game objective. Uh-huh. There's not supposed to be a, when you say black and white. The whole point of VAR is to make those. Um, grey areas. Gray areas, black and white. That's the pu- that's the purpose of it, I mm-hmm. think. But the one, but it's failing. <laughs> the, the big example that I would think of from this World Cup was Portugal versus Iran, and it was Cristiano Ronaldo with the the elbow. Have you seen it? I remember watching it. Yeah. Did you think that was a red card? Yeah. Uh-huh. I did. See, I thought it was a red card. Yeah. The referee didn't think it was a red card. Yeah. I went on to Twitter after the game. Uh, like oh, I was on holiday but I was still like well it was the next morning I woke up watched the highlights and then went on to Twitter and typed it in and people were talking about it so FIFA didn't include it in their highlight package because it's a contentious issue yeah um, well on Twitter it genuinely was about 50-50 yeah it was one of those 
So VAR will never solve that. So in that sort of situation, is there not a rule in place that would dictate, or are there two rules? Are there when the referee's looking at that, mm-hmm. what's his thought process to decide whether it's a yellow or red? Well, the, the, I believe the law is violent conduct or anything that endangers an opponent. Yeah. Is a, a, a red card offence. Yeah, a red card offence. So, so why is he giving him a yellow? This is my confusion. Because well, is there a law that says what he's done is a yellow card? Well, he's the referee's obviously looked at it and thought, well, he's, a, he's either thought one of two things. He's either thought... I'm not expecting you to know all the uh-huh. rules of the game, but I'm expecting a, a referee to know. Uh-huh. And what's confusing to me is how 50% of the people watching either well, haven't been explained the rules properly or there's there's um, there's not there's not a rule that should dictate what's happening there. Well, it's a great area because it's one of those where in, in the book of FIFA Laws of the Game, it always states that the laws are there for a referee to interpret as they see fit, yes. which is where again this is where VAR is changing is that. A failure. It's changing that but because I mean, it's taking interpretation out of it. Sorry, but I think I'm, it does because that referee has went over there. You can tell everyone watched that, that incident. Of uh-huh. <laughs> that the referee has went so VAR have went. You might want to have a look at that. That could be a red card incident. Yes. They've not said it is, they've said it could be. Well, you don't know what they're saying. Well, that's the thing. They could have turned around and went, here, by the way, that's a red card, you should go look at it. And he's went, it's my my call, it's a yellow card. This is again, it's that... But again, that's still the the grey area. Because he's went over to that that TV on the side of the pitch, watched it with no players influencing him, nobody around him, watched it himself. And he, so in his head, he's thinking, is what he's done endangered his opponent yeah. or could it be classed as because I mean you can get somebody throws a weak punch yeah. but they've still thrown a punch that was violent conduct yeah. so he's looked at that and, and said, said it's not serious enough for the said, red card it's not violent conduct it's not endangered his opponent but as a foul this is this is this is what we're talking about I think that what I see the future of VAR being is VAR will help FIFA influence the rule book. Mm-hmm. I think that rules will become more clear cut going forward uh-huh. because there will be recurring issues which will come up, especially because I've no doubt that VAR is going to be implemented across the board now. Mm-hmm. If they've put it in a World Cup, it's going to go everywhere else. So um, there, there is, there's part of me that says that the v, that VAR over time will begin to implement updates of the rules uh-huh. so there will be a case where the tackle that what Cristiano Ronaldo's done I think they'll get to a point where VAR will turn around and go hey you've not given a foul for that that is actually an absolutely shocking tackle it mm. is in violation of rule 13b part 2 which you should know is a red card so it will almost become it's almost like VAR will become like a review team, like you made a mistake there. Uh-huh. I think that VAR will ultimately take a bit of control away from the referees. But at the same time, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing yet. Because a great referee would make all the right decisions. Mm-hmm. In theory, VAR makes every referee perfect if the rules are adhered to. No, I think... In theory. Referees make... I believe it was 95% of the decisions are correct that referees give according to like, numerous bodies. And in VAR, that goes up to like 99.3. So there's no doubt it's that helping. it's helping. However, I just don't think, because it can't make the game perfect, because as you said, it just shifts it on to other people. But so I think you would be angry at Willie Collum before, yeah. you're now angry at five people in a van. Yeah. 500 miles away. But see if they were to turn around and let you hear what they were talking about and explain their process. Uh-huh. It's even, like, you could even say without VAR, if, even if a referee, you were able to hear him mm-hmm. talk about his process. The reason I think that having VAR talk about their process is because there's so much swearing on a football pitch uh-huh. that they can't let you hear what a fo- what the referee's well, saying. That has to be... Well, that's the thing. Whereas a VAR team... That's something that's broadcastable. Uh, but, v, but when the referee makes the signal that he's going to go and review an incident, yeah. and he goes over to the side of the pitch, yes. there's nobody around them. No. 
so they could broadcast him having so basically oh, the discussion VAR could say you need to have a look at that the referee goes to this he makes a signal goes to the side of the pitch doesn't talk to them at that moment yeah goes over to the side of the pitch and was looking at the TV and goes right which incident should I be reviewing here yeah. it's then displayed to him on the screen VAR are saying we think this is a potential red card incident for violent conduct or endangering an opponent the referee then looks at it and then says oh I think it's a foul but I don't think I think it may be a bookable offence it's like a or like say, say it's like a two-footed challenge and it's like um, it's like I don't think he's used excessive force but he's went in knowing that he could endanger his opponent I think that's a red card yep then that would be fair enough but then again it's because it, do, it doesn't make things black and white but what it does do is it takes a heck of a lot of the pressure off the referee because uh-huh. the referees come under such scrutiny mm-hmm. and I think if you're able to eliminate that conspiracy that a lot of Scottish football fans might uh-huh. have about referees being against their team if you're able to hear five guys telling something and him agreeing then there's not a conspiracy there's not anything against a particular team unless mm-hmm. you really are thinking there is a worldwide conspiracy uh-huh. and well, I think again it's one of those where that's just one use case uh-huh. I think it just helps a lot of people understand the game as well. Well, I think if people knew where referees are coming from, like I listened to an interview with Howard Webb. Uh, he likes to do his interviews these days. He likes to get around the press. It was actually really, like, it was really good. It was on the Football Ramble podcast, which I may add, you know, friends of the show, even though they don't know it. Um, basically, the Howard Webb said that he was at Old Trafford for one game, and basically um, what happened was. Yeah, they were playing Spurs and um, ball gets played up like so Spurs are on the attack mm-hmm. and are pressing quite high and then bang Man U hitting a classic Man United counter attack ball gets played right over the top and he's in and goal Jorelio Gomez of Spurs fame he loved a howler comes charging out his goal and he Howard Webb said so because of how quick this counter attack was how quick the ball was over the top I was so far behind the play. I was going to say, referee would be nowhere near it's it. It's like, I, I, I'm on like the halfway line making a decision about what's happening in the penalty area. So he's looking to his assistant who was on the wrong side. So he says, from his angle and his view, Gomez comes out and I think it was Wayne Rooney and just clatters Wayne Rooney. Gets none of the ball. Yeah. So he's like that in his head, even without consulting his assistant, penalty. Stonewall penalty. Uh, gives a penalty. Spurs are raging that the penalty's been given. Um and then he says after the game I see an angle where Gomez comes out and gets a massive hand on the ball before he makes contact with Rooney so it's not a penalty but the angle and he's like after that game I wanted to come out and explain why and I think that would maybe even be better if a referee could come out and not even be asked anything by the or like not even be asked anything by the press basically the press get together and say, which instance do we want him to explain? They say, that penalty decision, that free kick, why was that not a red card? What even, I mean, what even something about, like, um, a situation where, and this could have been even something in the lead-up to VAR, where, say how Webb is in that situation, he has the ability to go and watch a video replay. Mm. There's not other referees telling him what to do. He just has the ability to go and uh-huh. check. Uh, because then he could go, I was really far behind that. These yeah. players are genuinely angry. It was the same with the Nigel Dion one in the 2010 World Cup final. Yeah. The, the, like, one of the most famous yeah. ones. So I think to kind of round that topic well, that, up a little bit, that. is that I think we're very passionate about football. Uh-huh. I think both of us agree that technology can have some place in the game. I know you said you don't think it has any place, but I think there are points where we can both agree that technology would be beneficial in some edge cases. Uh-huh. And I think all we want is that for VAR just to be thought out a little bit more before uh-huh. it's uh, became, before it becomes more widespread. Uh, I definitely think, and, and this is the thing I think as well, see when it's not like a mainstream thing in every league or every major league, like goal line technology now is, don't put it in a World Cup. Again, I can see both sides, say you're a team, you go out because of a penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty. Uh-huh. Obviously, VAR's played well, but I think you're, there's too many grey areas in the game that they really should have thought about. And there's not been enough boundaries drawn up for it yet, and I think that's a major issue. Yeah. Um, so VAR, what I would say to kind of 
wrap that up is it's been really exciting to have it in the World Cup and I think that by the time we get to the next World Cup in four years time it will hopefully be a lot more well rounded uh-huh. a lot more polished and we're having a conversation about the game and not about the technology in as much detail that you know can affect the winners and losers aye aye it just, it just has to be more well refined totally well we have well, that is we're now going on to talk about something that is definitely black and white yep. which is goal line technology yep. which now, has been in the game for a while is it in, is it in Scottish football it's not in Scottish football see you Scottish see, football can't afford it's still provoking technology. me it's provoking <laughs> me just like VAR I am provoked by this technology, technology. yes yes, um, yes so goal line technology is I, I mean the name is pretty obvious uh-huh. isn't it it determines whether or not the ball has fully crossed the line and I believe most systems work where there are numerous cameras around the goal, the ball, if it goes f- the whole way across the line, triggers the referee's watch. Are uh, you triggered right now? What, the watch then vibrates within one second of the ball having crossed the line, and that then allows the referee to give a goal. See, that's a really good implementation. That's a great implementation of technology. Because you're not having to go and review the camera angles or the technology. There is an instant decision uh, being told to yes, the referee, and which is, is fantastic. There's no, like that's the thing as well. See, but I've never seen, and I'm sure it would be all over the internet if it did happen, a malfunction or any sort of time where the ball has crossed the line and the yeah. ball's not being given. That's just not happened. Now here's something I wanted to ask you. Right. A lot of these big stadiums now have got the overhead cameras. Oh, the big uh, spider cam type. Yeah. And I know that, obviously, when you're watching football and they go to do an instant replay, they're able to draw the line in for offside. Uh-huh. Why is there not a similar technology being built in that not effectively reduces the job of the linesman, mm-hmm. but there has to be a point where we'll, they, they obviously brought in the, the goal line referees for a period of time. Uh-huh. Are they still about? I think they are, yeah, you can still find them. You can still find them. So I don't yeah. understand why they're not extending that. So if you've got these cameras... Because there's still, well, again, there's still offside decisions. That, this which, is the thing, right? I've and that's them. a black and white thing. Uh-huh. They're either well, they're either off or they're on. And I don't care if it's their nose. I uh-huh. don't care if it's their finger. Their anything like, if they're in an offside position, they've got an unfair advantage, and that's the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I can understand FIFA not wanting to eradicate a linesman. That's a uh-huh. pretty big issue. But still need an assistant referee. You do need an assistant referee, but it gets to the point where if VAR becomes such commonplace, what uh-huh. do you, what would you need an assistant? Well, well, first of all, I've listened to a lot of football coverage this summer and yep. watched a lot of football coverage. For VAR and offside, yes, to be compatible, yes, the offside rule has to change. Oh, because in its current format, VAR. Is designed to point out clear and obvious errors and offside. So is this about whether a player's active and all that type of stuff? Well, about? there's that and there's also just the way the offside rule works in the, in the sense that it's any part of the body a player can score with has to be offside. Now, so again, this comes back to what I was saying earlier. I think VAR will influence the rules of the game mm-hmm. because they will want to maximise it. And the offside rule, I, I know exactly what you're about to say, and I'll, I'll let you go on and explain uh-huh. it, but I think what you're about to say does kind of talk to what I'm talking about, where the VAR does, is so going to, it's going to influence the game, and I think that's, I'm happy with that, uh-huh. because I'd rather have a more clear-cut offside rule, and you're obviously going to go on to so, explain so the issues where, the contentious issues. If VAR is designed to correct clear and obvious errors, and somebody is offside, but their big toe is offside, as opposed to like there being them being a yard offside. You can even get a decision where it's like half a yard, and it's like contentious just because of the, the pace of the game and stuff. Yeah, totally. So basically, the way the offside rule used to work, and the way that it now should work, if you want to implement VAR alongside it, is there has to be clear daylight between the last defender and the last player, which means... What does clear daylight mean? It basically means that if you're the last defender and the player is leaning on what would currently be in an offside position, so say the defender's got his foot out, but that player is in a, well, in a what would currently be offside position, but their foot 
is in line with your foot. Okay. Then that would be on side. So there would have there has to be actual a gap between. So you could be half a yard ahead, mm-hmm. but still be on side if any part of your body is level with any part of their body. So the daylight basically means that there is a defined gap. That's a bit weird, isn't it? But that that's the way it would have to be, because then any time there is a clear gap between a defender and a player, it would be obvious, rather mm-hmm. than like, like somebody's shoelace being offside. And well, when you say does it have to be, could you not, does, is there not, not a situation where you could have a camera which is able to determine? Well, for that you would need some form of like 100 metre sprint type camera that can sort of go up and down both sides of the pitch well, that can well, automatically... Well, there's ones that go along on a 100 metre sprint. Uh-huh. And then, then you to would have it. to get that to track... See, it's awkward because you've got the last defender who that then... Because that can change in an instant. Mm-hmm. So you could have a centre-back sitting deeper and then a ball gets played over the top and then, a, and then in two seconds the right-back is deeper so you'd have to get the camera... I mean, I'm not saying that there's a technology available right now to implement it because I think if it had, then it would already be being discussed. Mm-hmm. I'm merely saying goaling technology is a black-and-white issue. I think there's going to be a situation in the not too distant future where the offside rule which is supposedly a black and white issue, could be solved with technology mm-hmm. similar. Because mm-hmm. they have lots of cameras on the goal. You could have lots of cameras on each side of the pitch and use that to determine the best, to make a best decision. Well, I think you could. Uh, like, I think Cause it's Because they're, they're, they're not using VAR for offside at the moment, are they? Unless it affected that goal. Got you. Or a pen. And they're just using different camera angles for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously you can't use camera angles to inform the referee within one second until uh-huh. he slapped his watch. So I'd, I'm merely speculating that with goaling technology becoming more commonplace, I think we're at a point where the offside rule, which has obviously been one of the main contentious issues in the game, mm-hmm. which one would probably consider black or white. Well, it, it, it should be. Yeah, because how many times have you watched like a football game on the TV... They've went back, shown a replay. The guy's been offside, but then mm-hmm. they've just cut away from it. And it's like, well, that, that could have been a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. And you've got the other situations where the folk are given offside when they're not offside. Uh-huh. That's obviously the more, obviously, potentially damaging to mm-hmm. an actual match. Um, I can't really think of a higher priority of using technology than that. I think offside and then like inside or outside the box are the two. They two. are black and white. Yeah. They are a line, and are you over the line? Are you not over the line? Um, but it's obviously because the only it's more difficult because, like, well, the 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 box one is just because there's three different lines, mm. uh, which makes that more awkward than goal line technology, which is just one static line, and then offside is difficult because there's three things to focus on when the ball's played. Yeah. where the last defender is, where the attacker is. Yeah. So that just makes it a wee bit more awkward. But goaling technology, I think, has been like a huge success mm. in football. Without a doubt, and you're totally right when you're talking about the fact that um, there have been no real cases of it going wrong. No. Which is extraordinary. There was, there was one case that didn't go wrong, but it was like ridiculous where I believe it was PSV Eindhoven. Uh, Man on the keys. The so basically it was a massive game, mm-hmm. and I think it was like a league decider. And um, the goalkeeper, I can't remember the context of the game, but you can see it's final PSV. Oh, that's what it was. So final were playing PSV in the Dutch league, and it was like a must-win game for both teams. It was pretty much like a title decider between these two sides. Final at home, get a corner. Less than 10 minutes in the game to go. Ball gets played in from the corner. Uh, there's like a scramble on the goal line. And the keeper's in the goal, but the ball's like on the line. And he dives on the ball. Mm-hmm. So then PSB, because they have to win the game, he goes to scoop the ball up to get it quickly to then launch a counter-attack, right? So 
PA, like, uh, fine order, like, the ball went in, the ball went in, yeah. like, when, in, during the goal line scramble. Yeah. And the referee's looking at his watch like, no, no, no. And then, his watch starts buzzing, as if there's been a goal scored. When it's fairly obvious to everyone that there hadn't been a goal scored. Oh my god. So the referee's watch starts buzzing, he gives a goal. Oh! PSV go mad, because they're like that, because they are adamant the ball didn't cross the line, because it was clearly on the line. But what happened was, the PSV goalkeeper, when he scooped the ball up uh-huh. into his chest to get up quickly, it's went took over the there. ball millimetres over the line as he done it. No! And that ended up like deciding a title in the Netherlands. So you can see that the ball's clearly on the oh, line. Oh, but he's bringing it, in. Bring it at, he's And then his watch in. goes, and then you can see here, the PSV players are going mad. But basically what the referee can do then is, look at the watch, the watch says it's a goal. I can't argue with that. Yeah, you can't argue with the watch. So you've got it here, goal decision system, it's the same one as the Premier League they use in the Netherlands. Right. And then you can't see it there because there's players on the line. But they're obviously able to simulate with the ball is. Uh-huh. Oh how my close that is goodness. To the That's Hawkeye. That's the same system as Hawkeye, is that not? Uh, it's not Hawkeye, I think it's a German company. Uh, but look here, so you can see, oh you don't see him do it, but he basically just scoops it up. Well you see it from the big end. That's uh-huh. crazy. We'll post this on the old socials for you to have a look because it is... Um, <laughs> Uh, we've also got a thing here uh, where the goalkeeper complains, uh, blames the fuck up Hawkeye. That's oh, okay. oh. I mean, he took the ball over the line. He cannot it's, it's argue. Oh, oh here's that. a slow motion. We know this is great audio content. Uh huh. It's just it's great to watch because obviously it's on the line and then he does this. Oh my goodness, why did he do that? It is mad. Um, anyway, so. That's the most contentious issue, but it was still right. Always, oh, without a doubt, right? So, um, we were just talking there about how when a goal is scored, yep. the referee's watch buzzes. It does. So this is a seamless link on to something we spoke about before and something we're going to talk about now in a, in a football context and we're going to just mash them together. It is uh, Pete's legendary... No, I'm going to let you do You're it. You're not going to say it? No. You're not going to say it? Smart watch. Mate, yes. Uh, so we're just we're going to... back. We're going to have a look at the... So all the referees... So I so if, you, a smart watch. if you've been watching uh, any of the World Cup games, which if you are at 37 minutes of this podcast, we presume you have, um, all the referees have been wearing an absolutely mammoth smart watch on their wrist. And um, it was actually my dad that first time pointed out, he was like, that's a big smartwatch, like, and he, he noticed the brand, and I'd, I'd never heard of them. Um, you never heard of Hoople? I'd never heard, I'm really bad at watches, that's just, it's never been something I've cared about all too much. And, um, you know, I didn't realise that um, referees were wearing kind of technology on their wrists, Now, obviously they've been using it for, um, like, when there's goal-line technology and stuff, but yeah. the average referee on a, in a Celtic game, you know, that way, you've never really seen... Uh, don't really care about what Willie Collins wearing. They don't. They don't. Um, so these a uh, Hublo. Is it? What's the name of the smartwatch? Give, me, give the, me the name. The Hublo Big Bang Referee Smartwatch. Yes. Now, you can talk us through the details, but my understanding of this uh, watch is that it allows the referee to one tap pause the game, so that uh. there's obviously a lot of. Um, Fans have been talking about how it feels like at the end of every half there's always been four or five minutes, but it's because it's been so easy for the referee to start and stop the watch on uh-huh. on their own on their wrist. We even seen that means that it, I don't even know if they're making a contentious decision with it. I think they're just going. We've hit forty five minutes. I've had this paused for three minutes forty. We'll have four minutes of extra time. Uh-huh. Like I think it's just seamless at this point. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's one of those where. Even in the England game last night, I watched a replay of it this morning because I was working. And you enjoyed at it? At the end of 120 minutes. Like at, there was four, wasn't there? Four from 15 minutes yeah. of, a, of a game. Yeah. Uh, I think, well, I don't think they, like, if it goes out for a throw in, I don't think they pause it, but for like fouls and injuries and stuff, I think they do. I, because, think, I think they are pausing it sometimes for throw ins. It depends on how far the ball goes and stuff. Uh-huh. I mean,. I don't know how liberal they need to be with it, but I think it puts the, it makes their life a lot easier. Um, it's but one of those where I think the ball is in play. So basically, there was talk a few years back. Um, the ball was in play for 
60 minutes out of the 90, the ball's actually active on the field. When you go to any game, that's the average. It's mm-hmm. half an hour where the ball's not active. So there was talk of taking a game from 90 minutes to 60 minutes, and any time, the, so have a timer that everybody can see, and like a countdown, and any time the ball goes out, timer stops see, and restarts. I think that's weird, man. That's a strange one. That is a strange one. Because I totally understand, but there could be games where the ball's in play for 75 minutes. Uh-huh. Like it's weird. It's a weird one to look at an average of being out for thirty minutes uh, and to bring the timing down with that. But I think it's done well in that sense. But I just think um, so. That's watch basically helps them with the timing of the game, and uh, I'm assuming they'll get their their goal line technology um, notifications if they get any on it. But it's a, I mean it's a it's a big piece because oh, it's obviously huge. it's uh, it's marketed at five thousand um, dollars. Bargain bin stuff. It is the. Cheapest hoople, but uh, the most expensive smartwatch currently available. Which tells you about what hoople's uh, other watches are. So, it is a titanium cased uh, watch. This is for the watch nerds. Uh-huh. The old smartwatch nerds. Uh, I mean, it's, if it is the most expensive smartwatch. So, it used to be Apple's uh, 18 karat gold smartwatch, but that then came off the market. Yep. And then, until recently, it was a Louis Vuitton smartwatch uh, and now the Hublot big bang has come in and I think this is basically a sort of like predecessor to a watch that they're wanting to bring in uh, that creates like a Hublot universe and they want to basically allow your watch to fully integrate with your life not just your phone like as we spoke about this before like you get in your car you're, you're connected to your car your house Everything. Well, it's using NFC. Ah, uh, near-field communication. Which, you know, your phone has it. Your phone has NFC. You know, uh-huh. um, um, do, you, do you remember when iPhones first came out and there was an app called Bump? Yes. You remember <laughs> me showing you this uh-huh. call of the right page of 13? And if it was like, if you wanted to get somebody's number, I was like, I'll bump you. Uh-huh. Uh, and you literally just took your two phones and held them with your hands and you would kind of bump the other person's fist. And it would activate full communication and just throw it over uh-huh. um, so the technology is not new um, it's really open in um, Android phones yeah. so I don't know if you've um, you probably now at bus stops you suddenly see there's a big ad and there's like a QR code and then there's a wee thing that says NFC mm-hmm. it means that you can put your phone against that and it will bring up something to do with the, the billboard that you're looking at uh-huh. So it's already about, NFC is not necessarily a new technology. What's happening now though is that the chip has got so small that they're now able to put it into other objects. Um, it used to take up a kind of considerable size of a phone. Mm-hmm. So it was like bleeding edge at first. Um, but now it's got to a point where it's so commoditized. Obviously Apple making billions of them uh-huh. helps. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're going to start seeing NFC across the boat and it's just a good way for devices to securely authenticate with each other because mm-hmm. they need to be physically close to each other. Yeah. Um so there's a there's an array there's an array of straps that are about like that are related to all I was the teams hoping the that you Cup. would do the switch to the ball with that man. Uh oh but the, the near oh the The, the <laughs> NFC uh, mate so I teed you up for it. Basically I've uh, in football terms missed a sitter. You have uh, you've uh, Chris Avalumoed it my you, friend. you have taken it round the goalkeeper <laughs> Squared it for me to tap it into the empty net and I've put it over the bar. You have. Um, so basically, we're now, we'll move on. We're going to talk about the what's potentially the worst football known to man on the planet. Now, this is the football that is actually being used at the World Cup this year. Is it? Yeah, the Telstar. Is it the Telstar? It's the Telstar 18. This is the ball that they're using. I did not bring this up for any other reason. See? Uh-huh. So basically, the Telstar is a... The original Telstar is an, a legendary football, like, I'm sure it was the 1970 World Cup. I think Cup. you're right, aye. And uh, it has got a specific design, so it was easy to to be viewed on black and uh, white television. It's basically the black and white panel football that everybody knows. Like, when you see that, those shape, those hexagons yep. together, you think, football. Aye. Um, so this this is like a wee, it's a wee jig on it, you know, the... It looks pixelated, mm-hmm. uh, the actual pattern on it. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but the ball costs 120 quid, I think, to buy mm-hmm. outright. Yep. And part of the reason is that this ball includes an NFC chip. 
Yes. Which, um, which me and Arne looked up beforehand because we're not going to lie, we had absolutely no idea why a football would have an NFC ship. And I think, Arne, you can uh, you can explain to the viewers how underwhelmed we were uh, or, so or how whelmed we were. Yes. The reason <laughs> that this has an NFC ship is not particularly apparent. <laughs> um, so basically, Adidas had a ball called. It was like the, ran with the my coach thing that they me, had. Me coach, me I think coach, it was. my coach, and basically it allowed you to see how hard you were kicking the ball, uh, like how far this that. It basically allowed it gave you data on yourself, which if you're a pervert like that and you're into that kind of thing, then fair enough, you can buy a ball, you can do that with it. I thought this would be similar. Uh, it's not well the thing is NFC is able to determine location and Uh obviously other statistics that you've pointed out so I thought it was going to help with the verification of things like how many touches players had Uh where the ball was on the pitch because you're able to track a literal chip Mm. within a large area but um, I think the Adidas website was uh, get access to exclusive content Uh from the ball you can get uh, so each ball has unique content and information, personalised and localised, uh, providing the consumer with interactivity themed on the upcoming World Cup competition. So you spend £120 on a ball with an airfield chip in it. Yeah. Use it to get content for the World Cup, which we already have enough of. And then after the World Cup, it's a regular football, by the sounds of it. Yep. Just doesn't seem that there's much... It's one of those things where... You look at that ball, and it's, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not the nicest ball I've ever seen. The original Telstar is the ball. Um, So, it's not the nicest ball I've ever seen. Then you think, oh, this this has a bit of potential. I think it's a proof of concept. I think that having an NFC chip inside a football and not having it break after being battered around for 90 minutes is quite impressive. Mm-hmm. But what's disappointing to me is that the, the guys at Adidas thought we're just going to use this as a clear PR tool to plug our own content. Uh-huh. There's absolutely nothing in that three-figure purchase that would make you want to buy that football. No. Other than saying, I've got the official ball World from the World ball. Cup. Uh, not the ball I would buy. And Can I just, uh, can I just talk about... Um, I'm on Facebook... Uh-huh. I'm looking at the On This Day feature. Oh, here we go. And uh, eight years ago, I tweeted, España rule. Oh, so it must have been eight years ago to the day that Spain won the World Cup. It was indeed. It's big. And I've used colon capital D emoji. Oh. I've deleted it. I'm uh, not sharing that ever. Uh, I don't think you should. I'm have you got any lie. On This Day? Uh, I'll check for you. You're too busy looking at group chats, Al. Come on, come on. One memory. Have you got a one memory? Oh, what's it going to be? Three years ago today, Gem and I attended a wedding. Oh! Who's up for a sportamo gang? (laughs) Oh, man. Mexican. (laughs) How did De Jong not get a red card for that? Some people never choose. And I made friends with a person on this day. (laughs) Eh, (laughs) hang (laughs) on. Oh, a wee inside joke there. Contentious. So, basically a pointless, pointless ball. But it is one of those things where there is definite potential. We just want these companies to realise the potential that it could have and just use it properly, use the technology properly. You just want them to think about what they're uh-huh. doing and not do it just for the sake and of spe- it. Speaking of doing things properly, yes. we're going to move on. Yeah, again, this is our final topic. Uh, and we promise we won't do another show related to football after this for a good two or three days. Uh, and we are going to be talking about the Australian football, uh, the Australian coverage and TV rights of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Yes. Now, I believe that a company called Optus. Yes, who are like, uh, they're like O2, Vodafone, EE. Uh-huh. Um, purchased the rights for the World Cup. The same as the BBC and ITV did uh-huh. here. Which is basically in a country, especially in a country that's in the World Cup, yep. uh, is a huge responsibility. Uh, and basically they didn't do too well with it. Well, 
So, the way that it worked in Australia, um, quite similar to how it works here, different companies are able to bid on who can show the Games World Cup. So we've got the BBC and ITV. Total side note, BBC bossed it this year. I think they did. BBC didn't. always bossed it. ITV just seemed to do it on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Just does not feel as slick the production. And they're ITV's, right next to each other. Uh-huh. And see what ITV's um, pundits. We've got Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand. No, Rio Ferdinand. We've got Gary Neville, Roy Keane. Um, who else have we got on ITV? Ian Wright. People like that. They have the ability. Yep. To, to rival the BBC. And I just feel that they they do do it on the cheap every time they just sort of... I, I don't know what it is, because there's, sort of, there's just something about ITV. And it's not the adverts. It's not. Because you can have good football coverage with adverts, because yeah. BT Sport has adverts and their coverage is always good. Um, but it's good that it's on free air TV. Totally. Everybody can get behind it. Exactly. Um, so I think what you would say is we're a bit spoiled compared to how Australia have got it. Yes. Yes. So to kind of dig into an article um, that I'd found online when I was researching the technology behind the World Cup, one thing I'd never thought about was the actual distribution of how people would watch the World Cup. Because here in the UK, we are just so lucky that every year the BBC and ITV just they just they get the rights. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But the way that it worked in Australia this year was that the rights were shared to a free-to-air broadcaster, so they're called SBS, who I presume are like BBC or ITV. Uh-huh. But they were also shared to a subscription-based telecommunication company, which was far too difficult for me to say, uh, called Optus. So, again, this is the analogy of, say you're on O2, you get access to all the World Cup games, mm-hmm. but someone on Vodafone or 3, they don't get access to they it. They have to pay. They have to pay. And what, well, even Optus customers had to pay. Wow. Well, because they were they were already paying Optus money. Mm-hmm. So you didn't just buy like a, an Optus SIM card. Uh-huh. Like you needed to have like a rolling kind of commitment with them. So Optus had the rights to all 64 games. So they've got all of them. Whereas uh-huh. SBS, similar to the BBC or ITV, they get like a split. Uh-huh. So if you wanted to watch every single World Cup game, you had to become an Optus customer. So... Um, after happily sharing the coverage of the opening match of the tournament, the second game of the World Cup was exclusive to Optus Sports' streaming platforms. Immediately, the broadcast had technical difficulties, and a lot of the people who were trying to view the game just took to social media, just saying, come on, the game's exclusive here, we're not able to watch it. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like an absolute hellish nightmare. Uh-huh. Could you imagine turning on BBC One to find out that the game is down, or the BBC is down? I mean... You just wouldn't expect or you would, that. you would not be happy. You would not be happy whatsoever. Um, now, reading about the issue, apparently there was a deeper issue at hand. Some would say a conspiracy. So Optus secured the broadcasting rights following a sub-license deal who previously held the exclusive rights. The deal is now being criticised. Tasty. Yes. Um, now, I'm not going to go into the actual legislation, but basically the deal that they made probably breaks some Australian laws. Ooh. So, Optus came under a lot of pressure, and I think they've had to basically go back on the deal that they had. Mm-hmm. So now, closing out the World Cup, everyone is now able to watch the games. On free TV. Yes. That is a... Uh, now, if ridiculous. this is... We're obviously not down under. So no. if we have any Australian listeners if who... If we have any listeners that far away... So if we are distributing some uh, hashtag fake news... But to be fair, if we have any listeners as far as Canvas Lang at this stage, yep. I'll be happy. Yep, this is very true. Because um, they can't understand this, never mind the Australians. Oh, exactly. If you are Australian or know someone who is Australian, ask them about it. Get in touch. And oh, just... just Ask them about it because we want to know what Aye. actually happened because and how bad it was. What I found so interesting was the fact that you could be in a country like Australia and you can't just go to the pub to watch a uh-huh. game that's exclusive to Optus. I mean, uh-huh. how were they doing that? Know, were they Chromecasting? Were they Chrome? Uh-huh. Were they HDMI cable on this? Like, I'm really curious as to how that would have worked for the games mm-hmm. that were exclusive to Optus. Uh-huh. It does raise a good point as well because then you get into the whole you can fall down a rabbit hole when you talk about like, I mean. Like, is this going to be the future where you just everybody watches football on their laptop? Because, I mean, I watch a fair amount of my football on my laptop. Well, through, uh, I think what it also kind of... I think what it also... Oh, bless you. 
I think what it also goes into is a completely separate issue that I won't really dig too deep into. But there is the issue at hand where over in America, all the mobile companies are trying to buy content companies. Uh So like AT&T have just bought HBO. So the whole thing is that it means that um, Game of Thrones could maybe be shown like two days earlier to AT&T subscribers. So it's like these dumb companies, and when I say dumb, it means they're just providing the access, uh-huh. but they don't control what goes through it. Yeah. They now want to control what, what goes through the pipes, as it were. Uh-huh. It's like the company that makes the, the pipes for your water also providing the water. Uh-huh. So it's basically like, um, what, what do you call it? Is it um, it's like forward integration? Come on, integration? come on. You know it. Is it horizontal or is oh, it vertical? Aye. Come on. So basically, where is it? You've still no answer. Is it horizontal? horizontal. Correct, horizontal. my friend. So Ford will buy the tyre company yes. that makes Ford tyres. Correct. That's basically what they're wanting to do. Yes. Uh, what would an example of a vertical integration be on? Oh, yeah, It's like Apple buying Samsung. They both make the same thing. Ah, right, okay. That's all it is. It's okay. just to reduce competitors. Right, business lessons overall, uh-huh. don't worry, sorry, I just wanted to see... It has been six years? Yes, it has been five, no, five years. Coming up for five six. Five years, coming up for six. Coming up for six. What a shaky as ever with our knowledge. <laughs> We're definitely getting that wee bit older, getting that wee bit more forgetful. <laughs> the memory's gone. Before I do forget, um, the, old, uh, the old socials. Yes. Where can people find us, Pierre? So, if you're one of the rare few people who are listening to this podcast... <laughs> then we would highly encourage you to give us a wee follow and spread the word if you can. Um, the way that we're kind of trying to get um, some new listeners at the moment, because we're only about 10 episodes in or something mm-hmm. like that, um, is obviously through word of mouth. We've had a few folk who have been very kind to leave uh, some reviews on iTunes, which Apple is very grateful for. Mm-hmm. I know that if you get some five-star reviews, um, they bump you up the rankings. Um, we've also been featured by Anchor. Mm-hmm. We're in the, the old tech um, category on um, on Anchor. So, so yeah, the best way to actually help us out is to leave a five-star review or tell your mates. If you want to get involved in the podcast, as a few others have already, then um, you can drop us a message on the Anchor app. I think we've told you this every, every episode every now. Episode. But, um, yep, download the Anchor app. It's a great wee way to listen to podcasts. It's, it's doing things a wee bit differently. And one of the really cool things is that you can leave a voicemail and we can reply to it directly on the podcast. So if you've got any thoughts about VAR, goal-line technology, the involvement of uh, technology in football or anything that we've spoken about today, then uh, drop us a line and we'll be sure to mention you in the next podcast. If you'd rather not do that, you can also use the form of text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can email us. We're uh, hello at technicallypod.co.uk. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Aaron, you're renowned for thinking we're still at uh, gmail.com or not. And uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Ah. And uh, that's just at technicallypod. Um, now technically. Technically, and it's uh, two L's. One of the things that we've not realised was when we set up this podcast is that technically it's quite a difficult word to spell. And I, can, I think it is. It's like I listened to. I used to listen to a podcast called "Too Embarrassed to Ask," uh-huh. and it was um, basically people who were asking very basic tech questions who maybe didn't know things, and they they would say. Um, at the start of every podcast remember that embarrassed is spelled with two R's and two S's <laughs> so there must have been people who had been just totally misspelling the word embarrassed mm-hmm. and I think that technically maybe a similar culprit um, for the two people who have now spe- misspelled our podcast name there you go that should get some clarification um, but yeah thank you for listening Aaron it's been a joy having you alongside hopefully we'll get together and have a podcast for you guys next week and I will be back on schedule for you. Shall we? Um, it's not coming home, lads. Take it easy. Goodbye. Goodbye. We're going to leave you with a FIFA 05 classic, by the way. Enjoy this. All looking forward.